Hey, Emily. Hey, Stephanie. You uh, want to do a podcast? Absolutely. Welcome to Cycle Chats, a podcast to destigmatize what it means to be a woman. This is episode 52, Pelvic Floor Health, featuring a woman who is here to teach you about your private bits. Oh, yes. We're talking periods, postpartum, incontinence, and pelvic floor. It's pelvic floor physical therapist, Laura Mayhofer. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you guys. Oh, we are so thrilled to have you. I think this is a topic that we've literally wanted to speak about since the beginning. It's so important. It's just that I think we just got bombarded at the beginning and it just kept getting pushed back and pushed back. So I am thrilled to talk about it. I think this is a hugely important topic for women's health and it goes perfectly with kind of what we do. So thank you. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. And also before we get started, and I'll probably say this again later, thank you for being so inclusive on on your platform. It is absolutely lovely to see. And I really appreciate that as a person who consumes your content. I think that's a beautiful thing to put out into the world. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. So what made you get into this field? Yes. So I had kind of a unique route into this field. I think when people become pelvic floor physical therapists, and just for everyone listening to explain what the pelvic floor is, is it's 26 muscles that attaches behind the front of our pubic bone and it runs like a sling or a hammock and attaches into the bottom part of our spine known as our sacrum and our tailbone. So it's really the floor to our core and a lot of times physical therapists get into this profession because maybe they had a child. Well, I, on the other hand, grew up going to Catholic school and my dad was a firefighter. And so it was interesting because we were very anatomy positive, but definitely not sex positive. So when I would go to health class, I was like, let's use the anatomical terms. There was no discomfort there. And it was very odd for all of my friends in high school and then same thing in college. I always was the person who was very interested in talking about like taboo topics. And so when physical therapy school came and we had these people come and talk to us about pelvic floor physical therapy, I'm like, that's what I want to do. And so I've been doing it since I graduated and now it's just over 10 years and I love it. We just talk about how many muscles you just said there are in that one region, but that goes to show you like that should be something we talk about more yet again. Here I am 31 years into my life. I'm learning this information for the first time and I'm like mind blown because everyone's like do a couple crunches, but like pelvic floor exercises honestly have changed the game. I mean, I don't want to be like broad terms here, but it does because think about how many there are in there. I'm excited. I I think everyone's going to learn a lot just already off the gate. I know I just did. I'm like, oh my God. Like you said, there are 26 muscles. So in an ideal world, I wish that when we were in health class with young folks that we would talk about these muscles and just kind of let them know that they exist and what their functions are, which is urinary continence, bowel continence, support of our organs and support of our spine and hips. There is also sexual appreciation, but I think when you're teaching kiddos, you can obviously leave that part 
out and explain the other parts. And then if a child is having trouble using the bathroom at their school, or if they're having constipation, it's a lot easier to talk about those things. And it's easier for people to get care. And then think of how that can go into our adult lives, you know, of knowing, hey, after I have a baby, I shouldn't be leaking. It's common but common is not normal. And so we got to fix it. Oh, I love that. We hear that all the time. I feel like anytime we talk about a woman's body, it may be common. It doesn't mean it's normal. And I'm like, okay, every time, right? It's like every time we yeah. talk about something. It's oh, yeah. well, you know, this is just my life now. I think this, since this podcast, I always feel like I'm correcting people constantly. It's, it's been a blessing and a curse, this podcast. I'm like, I have so much knowledge, but now I feel like it's my job when I'm out with people to be like, actually, that's incorrect. So I don't get invited out much now. <laughs> Emily is it. That's it. She's my friend. And we just talk to each other. Okay. I like you. So there you go. So then I know you kind of already covered what is the pelvic floor? Or where is it? But I guess I should ask, what is the pelvic floor? And what makes it so important? So like what functions is it in charge of really? Yeah, so the pelvic floor, if you were to look it up on the computer right now, would sort of look like this grouping of muscles similar to your diaphragm. So it looks like muscles that are kind of glommed on one layer and sort of attached behind your pubic bone go back towards the tailbone. But it's actually more like a 3D spider web. The 26 muscles kind of go at different angles. So think of like a pulley system or like a bridge, a suspension bridge. Everything is kind of at a slightly different angle to help hold our pelvic organs up in place, to help get closure of our urethra so we're not leaking, get closure around our rectum so we're not passing gas or so we can have a bowel movement when we want to, and then also the sexual appreciation part. So the pelvic floor actually has to work with our tummy and back muscles as well as our hip muscles. So what I tend to see is that the pelvic floor is that person in a group project that does all of the work. And then the back muscles, the tummy muscles, the hip muscles, the butt muscles are like the slackers sometimes. So a lot of times the pelvic floor is kind of overworking and gets inflexible and tight. And so then we start to have dysfunction. Wow. Sorry, I was looking stuff up while you were saying that I was listening, but I was also like looking at it to see what you were mm -hmm. talking about. And I see what you're talking about, like everything's stacked on a different angle. That's, yes. I, the human body is so fascinating. And I can imagine as like a kid when you're learning all of this stuff, was that helpful for you as you got older? Or did you find that that kind of hindered? I guess the real question I want to ask is, because I think oftentimes when we talk about the pelvic floor, we're talking about our private parts. People often make it sexual. It just is what it is. So did you find that that helped you to have that knowledge or it hindered you in the arena of like the more saucy side of things? Yeah. So it actually, so for me, like I said, my parents were very anatomy positive. So to me, having conversations, like my dad as a firefighter would talk about how he delivered a baby and would explain that. And it was just like, this is his job. This is the everyday. And so to me, talking about our private bits is the same as if I talk about like my nose or my mouth. So I was always confused why it would get so sexualized because I'm like, it's so functional because everything that is shown to me is about function, you know, and all of those things. And so purposefully for my content on Instagram and all of those, 
I actually try to avoid it being super hypersexualized because I want it to be, again, something that everyone feels comfortable about. So I was literally just talking to my dad. He's 77 years old. And we were talking about the costumes that I wear on Instagram to dance and a vulva costume I wear. And he said vagina. And I was like, oh, no, 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 dad, that's not correct. I was like, vulva is like the outside, the curtains. And I'm like, the vagina is the canal. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, but did you know that? And he's like, I guess I didn't think about it, you know? And I was like, yeah, you know? And then we just like moved on with the conversation, you know? It didn't need to be weird. And so I did this poll on Instagram to ask people, do you feel comfortable talking to your parents about your private bits? And pretty much people were like, heck no. And they said, do you feel comfortable talking to your kids? And they're like, heck yes. And so it's like, when does that shift happen of when we become uncomfortable? The pelvic floor, when we think about the function, I think it's also easier to think about where the dysfunctions can be. So when I say pelvic floor dysfunction, think of urinary incontinence. When you cough, sneeze, or laugh, think about you come home and you're like, I don't have to go to the bathroom. And then as soon as you pull out your keys, you're like, oh my God, I cannot get to the bathroom quick enough. If you have back pain, hip pain, if you feel pressure, heaviness, pain in your abdomen, things like that, that's where someone like me can intervene. So I can talk to people till the cows come home about what is normal function, but it's when I talk about or share examples of this is the dysfunction that they're like, oh, I think I've been dealing with that. And I'm like, yep, yep, you have. And it's usually people are discrediting or minimizing it for people. Well, I know a big one is always like, oh, when you get older, that's just what happens. And my parents like to use that a lot. They're like, oh, you'll you'll see when we're our age. Meanwhile, I'm, you know, I'm squatting my life away because I'm like, I refuse to let myself get to where my parents are. They are hardworking, wonderful people. They're retired, but they like do not take care of their health the way that I think that they should. And my mom's a little bit better. She's good about it. Like I'll edge I'm going to show her this episode because there's some stuff that I think she'd like. But my dad, no way. He's like, oh, my knees. I don't know why they hurt. I'm like, have you looked in the mirror? <laughs> like do you eat bread with every dinner at breakfast, dessert, lunch, dessert bread, my favorite kind, just dessert bread. But that's, I think it's that mentality of, oh, well, this is just what you do when you get older. And that's just not the case. Yeah. These are the cards I was dealt. So I guess I'll just relinquish control. How do you reverse that in someone? Like, do you have people that are really resistant when they come to you? And like, how do you, yes. do you how do you work with that? One, I always like to ask people, what are you hoping to achieve in this visit? So some people might say, I just want education. I just want to know what the heck is going on. And then some people say, you know, I'd really like to not leak when I step off of a curb, or I'd really like to feel like I have more control, or I feel like I've kind of lost my core and my center. I want to reconnect with that. And then the key question is, how much time do you want to devote to that per week or per day? And that's the eye-opening part. I had one person say 30 seconds a day. And I was like, okay, do we think that that's realistic and reasonable, you know? And so it's a great way to kind of shift the focus to say, what do you really want from me? How can I tailor my care to help you? And then also how much time are you willing to devote to this? And 
I try to personally for myself weave people's exercises in in a way that it's not a huge time commitment and so that they can live life more mindfully is a lot of times what I'm asking. But yes, so I less now do I have people that are resistant, but I certainly do have people and then I am constantly kind of coming back to what's your why? Why are you here? What do we want to achieve? Like, let's work towards that. And then once we get to that, let's reevaluate. Do you want to keep working? I wrote down a few questions just because this is such an interesting topic. And like we talk about all the time, this is just not something that we're taught. So the knowledge is kind of up to us to educate ourselves on. So I was curious, is pelvic floor dysfunction genetic or is this specifically person to person? So I think it's more specific person to person where I think we can get a genetic genetic component would be prolapse where your pelvic organs are kind of coming out of your body. And that I would say is more apt to be genetic because you could have some type of connective tissue kind of issue sort of. And so if your connective tissue is a little bit more loosey goosey, then you might be a little bit more predisposed to that. I've had a lot of people come to me saying, you know, I saw my mother, my mother-in-law, and she was walking across the living room and she was like passing gas as she was walking and she couldn't hear it. And, you know, I don't want to be like that. And so then they kind of worry, like, could this be genetic? And it's like, no, not necessarily. So yeah. Okay. And then my other question that I wrote down, just because I think this is also important, how common is this? Yes, yes. So I want to say it's like one in three women will experience pelvic floor dysfunction. And then with men, I want to say it's one in five. And I think that men experience a lot more, but they are not reporting it. It's not getting screened. And I would also say I think women experience it a lot more, but it is being brushed off as normal part of aging, normal part of having kids or like, oh, just drink some wine and it won't hurt anymore or you're menopausal, things like that. So I think a lot more people struggle with it than what they're reporting. That makes complete sense total to me. Sense. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that makes total sense to me. If I hope everybody listening is also nodding their head. Yes, that makes sense. I'm just flabbergasted and also trying to like process things as you're talking and also remember that we're in an interview. So then how does someone know that there's a problem and when do they go to someone like you to get this problem addressed? So I like to look at every area as kind of like a domain that we check box. So if you're leaking when you cough, sneeze, laugh, or lift, or if you have an urge to go and you can't defer the urge or make it wait, so you're in the back of Target and you got to pee and you leak while you're trying to walk up to the front of Target to get to the bathroom, check box that's something you can come see me. If you are straining or having pain with bowel movements, having a bowel movement at three days or four days or five days, then that's constipation. Or if you're leaking gas when you don't want to, checkbox, that's a pelvic floor issue. If you have back pain and hip pain, that's not going away with regular exercise and movement, that's probably pelvic floor dysfunction. If you have heaviness or pressure, that's pelvic floor dysfunction. So the more you add onto that, if you have pain with intercourse or difficulty with orgasm, that's pelvic floor dysfunction, the more you need to like not walk, but run to me. So even if it's just I'm leaking a little bit, just a few drops, 
come on into me. But if you are saying, oh, I'm leaking and I have constipation and I have back pain and I have pain with intercourse and I feel heaviness, goodness gracious, get into me right away. That was beautiful. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I'm in, you know, and I don't, I think I maybe have like one of those things and that's just because I eat a lot of beans. So yeah. Well, and one of the things I think for me personally, I've never met someone that I haven't been able to help. So even if for you, Stephanie, it is like, oh, I'm, I just eat a lot of beans. You shared that you lift. So we could even talk about what is the abdominal canister coordination as you're doing lifting. Are we noticing any breath holding? Do you feel like you're getting good engagement? So I personally have never met a person that I haven't been able to help. And a lot of it comes down to educating folks on what is normal, what's abnormal, and just also just how their bodies function. Because as we age, our body does change. And so it's an opportunity to learn how to work with your body instead of against your body. Amen. And I think that's a, that's a real test to how the education that you've had through this, your experience with it, and just even your upbringing. I mean, it sounds like this was one of those professions that kind of chose you. I, I don't know. It's you explain things in such a way that like it takes the quote unquote, the taboo out of it. It doesn't make me feel uncomfortable to say, oh, what about X, Y, and Z? Because those, especially I know for like older women talking about leaking and all of that. I've had conversations with friends of mine and they're like, they're like, I, I'm embarrassed embarrassed by it. You know, like I don't want anyone to see my pads in my purse and you make that very comfortable to talk about, which I think is important because again, it bridges that divide and it not necessarily normalizes it, but normalizes the idea that it's there, but it can be helped. And so they go to someone like you, which I think is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, we don't know what we don't know, right? That's just, that is the way it is. We don't know what we don't know. So you said something interesting, which triggered, this has absolutely never happened in an episode before where I am just cracking these questions because you're just like triggering these like synapses in my brain, but you triggered something in my brain because I, I guess I just didn't realize that the orgasm has to do with the pelvic floor. So like orgasm dysfunction itself is part of that world. I think that's so interesting and not something I ever tied together in my breath. So when we think of orgasm, I like to think of sort of like a car actually. So the brain is like the electrical component of the car. So when you go in and like lights are flashing and they like put the little computer in and they're like, oh, this sensor is off. So that's where you can go to a certified sex therapist or counselor and you can work through those. Then you have like the person that like changes the oil on the car and does like the fluids and like make sure the pistons are like firing correctly. That's me. So I make sure like the mechanics, the blood flow, the tissue flexibility, the nerve sensation is all intact in order to have an orgasm. So when someone says that they have low libido is that because they have 10,000 things on their plate they're tired they're feeling underappreciated all that and could it also be that they have vaginal dryness they don't have adequate lubrication maybe they're using the wrong lube in the bedroom all of those things they have pain or inflexibility in those tissues and so are those things affecting it what's going on and the clitoris actually they just found out that they thought it only had 8,000 nerve endings. It actually has 10,000. I think 10,000 plus. It's not just the little part we see underneath the little hoodie. It actually 
has these beautiful arms and bulbs, technically bulbs, and then legs of the clitoris that come down. And so that's why there's 10,000. And that structure sort of surrounds our vaginal opening. And it's kind of sandwiched between layers one and two of the pelvic floor muscles. So if you have a baby and you have a birth trauma through a vaginal delivery, or even if you have a C-section and they maybe sew things a little bit too tight, it can change how that clitoris is oriented and it can change that tissue flexibility. So when we get blood flow to the clitoris and it actually swells, it can't if it's restricted by tight tissues. And so you can go to all the sex therapists in the world and you can work on the brain and the mechanics of things, but you can't fix what's happening if it's a tissue issue. So that's where I come in with stuff. I love the way that you describe the clitoris. I almost pictured her like behind like a an ostrich feather, like a burlesque dancer. She's yes. just like, Ooh. yeah, I was like, oh, <laughs> she's got big, long lashes. Just Yes, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Very beautiful. I was like, oh my God, excuse me, I buy you a drink? Like, <laughs> do yes. you come here often? To entertainment yes. at the jazz club, you know? Like, <laughs> I'm just going to start calling my vulva the jazz club. I'm just going to be like, that's it. Everything now, it's the jazz club. Welcome. I think it's always fun to name your vulva or your vagina. So, my one friend named hers Pearl, and then mine's Kitten. And so, I just like love it because it kind of helps you, you know, yeah. feel a little bit sassy. Mine was Parker. That was always their name. It was Sarah Jessica Parker. I thought it was good, right? I love that. Parker there. It's just kind of good. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think I ever made a name for it. You never so did if you guys want to dub me a really? name by the end of this episode. All right. Think about I'll continue. it. We can make a quick I'll continue poll. thinking about it. <laughs> Perfect. We'll pull it on our stories. After this episode, everybody go check. We'll have like a write-in section. Yeah, write in yeah. what you think yeah. it should be called. Perfect. Yeah. I and then wait. we'll put the poll up for the top like three or so winners. I love it. Great. Done. Wow. I am just being baffled. I love these episodes. My brain is like on fire. So then how can we exercise our pelvic floor daily? And also, I guess the first question of that should be, how do we check on our pelvic floor ourselves? Because I think that's probably the most important. Yeah. So what everyone can do, this helps if you're sitting, I think, if you're sitting kind of on a firmer surface with good posture, you can find your sits bones with your fingertips. You can sit on them. And then if you sort of inch them in, or if you just take one hand and inch your fingertips in towards your vulva area and you press up and you feel softness underneath your fingertips, that's your pelvic floor. So that's a really easy way to kind of orient yourself. And what you can do when you're kind of holding on to your pelvic floor is you can tighten like you're trying to stop the flow of urine or trying to not pass gas. And what you should feel is you should feel that soft tissue move up and away towards your head. Now, if you just let go, release that contraction, then if you bear down, like you're pushing out or straining, you should feel the pelvic floor move down towards the ground. So what we just did there was a voluntary contraction that was stop the flow of urine. And then when I had you bear down, that was a voluntary relaxation or lengthening. So our muscles are supposed to move up voluntarily and down voluntarily. Now they also move involuntarily. So if you were to cough, 
you should feel your pelvic floor move up. And if you take some nice, slow diaphragmatic breaths on your inhale, you should feel your pelvic floor move down. So we have involuntary contraction with your cough and involuntary relaxation with a deep breath. So that is one of the things that I teach in session and have people appreciate in session. So when you go about your life, you know, what the heck is my pelvic floor doing? So if I go to cough and I leak a little bit, it's because my pelvic floor didn't tighten right before I coughed. And so people can start to appreciate what's happening. If I sit down to go to the bathroom and it takes a few seconds before my stream starts, that's because your pelvic floor isn't relaxing to go to the bathroom. So first kind of checking in to be like, what is my pelvic floor doing? Am I just holding it tight all day long? Is it just like rocking out, just not doing anything? And then from there, you can start to work on exercises and activation and movement. Interesting. I don't think I've ever like put two and two together on that. Yeah. So the example I give is when I used to study at the kitchen table, my mom would come up behind me and put her hands on my shoulders. And I would suddenly realize like my shoulders were up at my ears and my mom would place her hands and they would melt away. And then I would start studying again. She'd come up and I'd be like, oh my God, my shoulders are up. But like, we don't walk around with a mirror looking at our pelvic floors all day long. When is the last time people have looked at their vulva with a mirror? You know, I mean, I look at mine because (laughs) that's what I do for a living. It's normalized for me. But taking this time to feel our pelvic floor and start to feel that connection of, oh, this is tightening. This is up. Or gosh, my pelvic floor didn't move at all when I did that. Can I get it to move the other motions? Starts to tell us what's going on. So when I'm in session with someone and I ask them to tighten, sometimes they actually bear down instead and the pelvic floor comes at me instead of going towards their head. So then we know that's dysfunctional. So it'd be like if I asked you to bring your hand to your face, but instead you straightened your elbow instead of bending your elbow. So it's really my aim, whether it's in this podcast with my various social media platforms or working with people in session is I want to empower you with information. So if you leave here and you just continue to listen over that one section of the motions of the pelvic floor, that can be so empowering because if you go into your doctor and you're like, I cannot feel my pelvic floor moving at all, then it's very easy to request a referral to physical therapy because you now are armed with knowledge when your doctor or provider says, no, you don't need this, you're fine. You can say, I still want my referral. You know, they can't be a gatekeeper anymore because you know something is maybe off and needs a little bit of help that's so important to be able to have that like my friend she's a doctor when she goes in for her own checkups and stuff she's like it's amazing to me how if I don't right away start using the correct terminology how they're like oh it's fine whatever and she'll be like well what about and they're like what do you do for a living she's like I'm a doctor and they're like oh okay and then all of a sudden now they're on a different playing field but it's it is amazing to me how like that one little not little I guess it's big observation and study of yourself and what you're saying and your words you're using helps you be able to get the help that you need so for me for example so people can kind of relate to this when I was in physical therapy school I could just tell people that I didn't like their idea but then when I started working in like the corporate world as a physical therapist I couldn't just go up and be like I hate your idea you know and so I would like clench my jaw but then they could tell I was 
was clenching my jaw. So then I ended up squeezing my knees together and tightening my butt cheeks. And so then my pelvic floor became inflexible, shortened, and it didn't move. So when I would cough, sneeze, or laugh, it really didn't go up. If I would try to bear down or take deep breaths, it wouldn't move down how it was supposed to. So I had a tight pelvic floor that I needed to work on flexibility with. Other people might have a pelvic floor that they can't figure out how to activate it. It's very much a coordination thing. And so they might try to bear down and it moves up and try to move it up and it bears down. So it's nice to be able to self-assess and see. And like I said, for me, I knew a lot about the pelvic floor going in. And so I was like, oh, no wonder I'm having leakage, but also pressure and heaviness, but also pain with intercourse. It's not because I have a weak pelvic floor. It's because my pelvic floor is overly tight. And that's a cluster of symptoms that we see together. And I need to do some yoga and diaphragmatic breathing. I'm frivolously or whatever that word is. Right. And also that's, that's what you're over seeing. Here. It's just me like, same, um, same. I don't even know where to start these notes. I have a question. Yeah. We on? 80,000. Yeah. Was was exercise. But then you said things that I got. I have more questions before we even move on to exercise. So is Stephanie, don't laugh at me. I'm educating myself. So is that contraction and relaxation? Are those the same thing? And I am so sorry for being ignorant if this is not correct. Are those the same thing as Kegels? Yep. So Kegels were invented by Dr. Kegel. Of course, a man. What? That sounds crazy. Yeah. I have never heard of that. And so all a Kegel is, is a pelvic floor contraction. That's all a Kegel is. But it's not the relaxation not part the of relaxation. it. relaxation. No. Okay. And so, I mean, I suppose if you're contracting, then you eventually have to relax. But what people think about when they think of Kegeling is they think I have to tighten and hold and then relax and then tighten and hold and relax. But what they really are doing is they're so worried about tightening that they usually only partially relax. And so like I had a lady where she told me, oh, my nurse practitioner told me every time I went to a stop sign to do as many Kegels as I could. So I would just tighten, 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 tighten. So I always used to joke with people. This is when the Obamas were in office, but I would always say, are you going to get Michelle Obama arms if you just do a bicep curl, just this little tiny bicep curl? I'm like, heck no. To get Michelle Obama arms, you need to fully straighten your elbow and fully bend it again. So it's the same concept concept with the pelvic floor. And now I'm going to blow everyone's mind. There are two types of pelvic floor muscle contractions or Kegels. Okay. There are two types. So we have our quick twitch muscle fibers. We have our slow twitch. So our sprinters and our marathon runners. So when someone is actually doing Kegels, when I teach someone to do that, I want them to do a contract hold for like one to two seconds, fully relax, contract again, fully relax, contract again. So normal is 10 quick contractions in 10 seconds. 
So like if we were to pause this or after this podcast, if everyone can just sit there and be like, contract, relax, you can't contract again until you fully relax. That's the hard part. So it's kind of like if you've ever seen pro athletes do those ladder drills where their feet go in, in, out, out, in, in, out, out. That's what we're making our pelvic floor do. So that's one type of contraction that's called a quick flick. Then we have a sustained hold, and that's where you tighten and you hold for 10 seconds and then relax. Tighten and hold for 10 seconds and then relax. So normal is 10 contractions, 10 seconds each without losing any muscle strength, without holding your breath, without tightening your butt cheeks. So again, I'll have people in my office and they're like, Laura, I've been doing my Kegels. I'm like, okay, great. Show me. And after like the fourth repetition, they like start raising off of the chair. And I'm like, now you're just doing butt squeezes. You're not doing your Kegels. When I think of pelvic floor strengthening. I don't think of people who are putting weights in their pelvic floor. There is this one lady out there who would like hang a kettlebell from her vagina and would hold that and like surfboards and stuff. It's just ridiculous. That is not what I'm talking about. Literally just laying on your back and doing these different motions of being able to quickly engage those muscles and then slow and sustain hold is just so important and thinking of it less as strengthening and more as like range of motion. So it's kind of like yoga for your pelvic floor. And now I have one more question before we get back to the question that we asked 20 minutes ago. You're talking about all this and I'm like thinking because my husband and I have started talking about kids and if that's something that we want and all of that stuff. So I'm hearing you describe this and I'm like, well, this is probably important for childbirth because you're like bear down. I'm like, well, I've seen that in my childbirth book downstairs. So I'm assuming this is very important information for people who would like to get pregnant. So I guess it's not really even a question, but like, shouldn't every person who wants to get pregnant at least go see a pelvic floor therapist once so that they even know what the hell's going on because like now I'm like well I have to add that to my list so I actually have started to see a lot of people who are pregnant they're usually coming to me like at the end of their first trimester through their second trimester and up to delivery is like the long-term people but I have had a fair number of people that come to me in their third trimester who are like I just want to make sure I'm pushing right like how do I get this baby out you know what am I doing here or how do I make my pregnancy just more manageable so I wish it was it currently is not they just changed the guidelines for after you have a baby to say that you can get as many appointments as you need but insurance hasn't caught up to that new guideline and so it is just I hate to say it it's kind of like a dog eat dog world out there for the pelvic floor because it is one of those things where I wish it was normalized to send people to a pelvic floor PT so that, I mean, or have one on staff, gosh, have one on staff when the patient is already in the stirrups having a ultrasound done and just make sure they know how to do those four motions of the pelvic floor. How novel, you know? So yes, it is something that is very, very important for having a baby. And it's something that if you are able to go see a local pelvic floor PT. I have a lot of questions for my 
<laughs> for my gynecologist the next time I see her. Maybe we'll just have to do another podcast on pelvic floor PT and pregnancy or something like that. Yeah. Oh my, like, anyway, I'm getting us back on track and re-asking the question I asked a long time ago when I was young. How can we exercise our pelvic floor daily? Thank you for reminding me where I was going with telling the motions of the pelvic floor. So before you move sit to stand, before you bend, before you twist, think about just doing that tightening the pelvic floor like you're stopping the flow of urine or trying not to pass gas and then do the motion. So that is a great way to functionally work on the stability of the pelvic floor as you do your normal life. It's going to help give stability through your spine and your hips and your pelvic organs. And it's also going to help kick in your tummy muscle that helps to stabilize those areas as well. So instead of thinking, oh, you need to sit down and do 10 Kegels, 10 repetitions, all of that stuff, I would rather have you add it in as just a normal part of your life. So you just think about giving that nice squeeze and lift and then doing it. Then the other exercise that I will tell people to do or that I would love all of us to do is just five minutes of nice, slow, deep breathing. Whether it's at night, whether you're driving home from a long day of work and you, I had one patient that would park like three blocks away from her house and would like leave the car on and just put the seat back because she, when she got in, it was like go time being a mom. But just take the five minutes to just do some nice, slow diaphragmatic breathing because that's gonna work on the lengthening part. So it's always important to work on strength Strengthening, activation, but also work on lengthening. There you go. That's that's where I was going with teaching people the four darn motions of the pelvic floor. Sorry, I got it. No, I forgot. I get so excited that I forgot. This is usually Stephanie's thing that gets us off course, but I got so excited. But there's so much information. And I think it's because this really is something that is incredibly important. And as I know, like as I've gotten older, the fact that it connects to my abdomen and we're singers. So you're speaking our language when you say diaphragmatic breathing and like that's that's where it all sits. So Yes, there's going to be so much to this. There's going to be a lot of questions. That's all I'm going to say. So if people weren't listening to the rest of this and now their ears are perked up, even though I hope everybody listened to all of it and took it in and also frivolously wrote notes in their notebooks, unless you're driving, then please don't. But what is one thing that you want all people to understand? Like what is the utmost important part of this whole thing? That there are people out there to help you who can help you. You're not alone. I think that's the biggest thing. And that's, I think, just with anything in life is that there really is a community for everyone and don't feel embarrassed or weird or out of place because you are going to find individuals who don't even think twice about it. It's like when you go to a therapist and you tell them your innermost thoughts and they're like, okay, great. Well, let's explore that. And you're like, you don't think I'm out of my mind? And they're like, no, no, you're mild, which I've been told. I've had a therapist be like, you're mild compared to what I've dealt with. I'm like, oh, okay. So it's like an easy session for you. She's like, I look forward to our sessions. I'm like, good, 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 good. <laughs> that makes me feel better. You're going to find people who this is nothing to them and they're going to make it a comfortable environment for you to explore and actually give the love to the parts of your body that often go unnoticed. And if you go to a place and they do anything opposite of what Stephanie just explained, I see myself as kind of like a waiter, you know, like I have to do a good job because 
because I'm in a customer service industry. And I think people forget that medicine is a customer service industry. So if you have a bad experience with someone, don't keep going back to them. There's plenty other fish in the sea. Even if you are in like the smallest town ever in the middle of nowhere, there's someone else who can help you. So just remember that. Well, clearly I took nothing away from this conversation. This was all garbage to me. So I'm empowered. I want to know what women empowerment means to you. It's knowledge. It really is knowledge. I think, especially from a medicine side of things, we were not included in research for so long. And now we are included in research. And we're finding out that, for example, the target heart rate zones for women are different than men. So if you use an online metric to find your target heart rate zones, that was all calibrated based on men and women's target heart rate zones are much lower. And so what Whatever you can do to gain knowledge. I recently downloaded the Libby app, which is free and it connects with your public library card so that you can get audiobooks and Kindles. And I have been listening to books on menopause, on sexual dysfunction, on the history of sex, on childbirth, all of this free. And I just, you know, the more knowledge you can get, the more podcasts that you can listen to from folks like these where they're putting out good content, not just sensationalized content, the better you're going to be. So that's my biggest thing is knowledge. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're all about it. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's exactly what this space is all about. Well, my, I'm very upset about this, but my, my last question for you, which I say with tons of regret because I don't want to let you go is what advice would you give your 15 year old self keep being that quirky weird little kid because you're gonna find your crew and it's gonna be awesome my weird little girl would have enjoyed that as well yes we would be we would be friends I was definitely strange still am and I like that about myself I feel like my content and my website presence very much reflects me which is I am I talk about sex but I'm kind of silly and awkward about it and I maybe sometimes trip over my words and like I am super knowledgeable and I like really geek out on details and so I I like to get like super specific and detail oriented. And it's just been so interesting growing up. It's like, oh, these things that I did as a kid are still the same things I'm doing. And I tried at points in my life to change that. And it's the more I embrace it, the more it's like, yeah, like just like Stephanie was saying about the sexualized stuff. It's like, there's nothing more bothersome to me than going to a website page or something like that. And it's just like bombarded with these very graphic visual images. And it sometimes detracts from what you're trying to learn and take away. And yeah, so I try to be kind of the opposite of it. And when I look at 
life as a child. That's that's what I always did. We love this entire conversation. This was very educational. I think it was a long time coming and it was very much worth the wait. We obviously know where to find you. We love your content. We love consuming it and being educated on the daily with it. But where can other people find you? And do you have any interesting projects coming up that we should keep an eye out for? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram is where I spend a lot of my time. So everything is basically a combination of my first name and last name. So Laura Mayhofer for Instagram. My website is Laura Mayhofer. I do a blog twice a month and a email twice a month. And it's just a lot of great content there. And then I have all the videos on my YouTube are videos that I use every single day with patients. So check out those YouTube videos because there are actually exercises on there that I am giving out every single day. And I've had a few people be able to kind of like health hack my advice and treat themselves. And I love that. So that's all the places that you can find me. And then for exciting projects, I really feel like 2023 is going to be the year that I get the patient education resources that I want to get out there. So it is expensive to come and work with me and I want to increase accessibility. So my aim is going to be writing ebooks essentially that mimic these little sessions that I have with people like what's a dietary bladder irritant and how do you figure that out for yourself? How to find a physical therapist in your area, all these little things, how to increase fiber in your diet that I want to make super affordable and cheap that you can buy on my website. So send everyone out there, send me all of the energy because this has been on my mind for years and I know it's going to be good. I know it's going to be great. I would love to create so much content that no one comes to me ever again because they have it at their fingertips and it is a clear map on their course of care forward. So that's my, that's my goal. What a gal. Thank you so much for everything. And you did, you mentioned uh, newsletters and your website and YouTube and all that. And all those links will be below. And just for everybody listening, if you don't know, we also have a website, which is www.cyclechats.com. You can check us out, check out our blog. We have a newsletter as well. Let's you know who we've interviewed, what we've done and what's to come. We also officially now have our store open so you can get your own custom t-shirt to educate, inspire and empower or the good old syncing up with cycle chats we also have a youtube where we do chit chats all of it's on the website so just head over to cyclechats.com and then of course please check out our friend and all she has to offer about pelvic floor health because we want to get you to that point where no one needs to contact you anymore other than saying thank you you're amazing Put yes, more please, please say thank you yeah thank you and you're amazing so that's what we want so thank you so much for taking time because i know you can always get money it'll come and go but time once it's gone it's gone so thank you for taking some of your time with us today we really appreciate it and with that being said we hope you sync up with us next time 